Well, let's now transition to Philippians. The title of my message today is, What's Their Motivation? What's their motivation? We're always asking that. Not maybe, maybe not out loud, but internally. We're like, why are they doing what they do? And we assume we know people's motivations. Well, I think this scripture today is going to slow us down and help us trust God more. Last week, uh, Paul talked about his chains in prison actually caused the gospel to advance. And he said, because of these chains, people are preaching the gospel with more boldness. So that's good news. Now we pick up this, this letter and this narrative, and, and he gives more explanation, and, and the tone kind of changes, and that's where we'll start in verse 15. And after I read the scripture, I'll present this as the word of the Lord. And if you choose, you can say with me, thanks be to God. Philippians chapter 1, starting with verse 15. Be sure some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. These preach out of love, knowing that I'm appointed for the defense of the gospel. The others proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, thinking that they will cause me trouble in my imprisonment. What does it matter? Only that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed. And in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Years ago, I had a pastor recruit me to one of the local uh, pastor's groups that we have. And he, he was inviting and charming and made me feel really needed. So I joined this pastor's group, and he was the president of this pastor's group. And in a really short amount of time, I found myself as president. I thought, well, that's kind of cool. It felt kind of cool until I discovered there was a whole bunch of problems with the organization. Um, he, He handed the presidency over to me, and then he disappeared. All of that charm, all of that persuasion, he kind of duped me, okay? You could, you could say that in the natural. Uh, he passed something along to me. Now, that's really not the truth because I ended up really enjoying being part of that. And I, and I grew in leadership and I made great friends and, and the Lord was in it. You know, the Lord is sovereign over that. But, but it was just really interesting to me that now I think this guy really wanted to recruit me, really wanted me in place because he was ready to move on. And sometimes we, we have that. We see that, that God uses people's wrong motivation to accomplish his purpose and accomplish his plan. Sometimes we, we, we look back and we think, well, what did they really want to accomplish? Well, God was working maybe through a motive that wasn't completely pure. And I'm thankful that he does that. I've been preaching for decades now. And I know that I haven't always preached with the purest of motivations because I'm a human being. And I haven't always, you know, preached maybe as pure from the heart as I wish I would have. And yet sometimes God has used those messages. Why? Because he loves his people. He loves his people and he wants to bless his people. 
And the scripture is powerful and he cares for you. So here's my first observation from today's passage. God uses people with wrong motivations. And this is something that if you begin to accept this and realize that the work of God is like bigger than people's intentions sometimes, and he, he will sovereignly say, okay, I'm going to use that individual as a vessel. I'm going to use them as a conduit. I'm going to use them as someone I can flow my power through because I love my people. I think about things like healings. I know a lot of people have been healed physically and there's been a miracle. And then later on they find out the person who prayed for them maybe misused finances. Maybe that person was strong in healing but was bad in financial integrity. That doesn't take away the power of God because the power of God was there because he loved you. He used a broken vessel. I think about water baptisms. You know, the Apostle Paul in in 1 Corinthians was really clear. It shouldn't matter who baptizes you. You're baptized into the church. You're baptized into a way. You're baptized in the name of Jesus. You're not baptized in the name of Christ has loved church. You're not baptized in the name of Aaron Allison. You're not baptized in the name of any uh, associate pastor or anyone. You're baptized in the name of Jesus. So sometimes we say, well, hey, I was baptized with, by this person, but you know, they're, they're not living for the Lord anymore. That doesn't negate your baptism. God, God did a work through you and through that person, whether it's healing or a sermon or or. We hear great worship songs, and I remember hearing about a a great worship song that inspired me, and the person who wrote it, his lifestyle was so distant from the Lord, but that didn't change God's power in that moment. So we see verse 15, we'll reread it. He says it this way, and I hope this brings you comfort, and it it brings you comfort by what you've received in verse 15. To be sure, some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry. This is really, those are two really interesting phrases. They, they're, they're preaching Christ to make themselves look better than another preacher. Or they're having some type of rivalry where they're, they're, trying to, um, they're trying to promote their brand or their name or their culture or their style. But others out of goodwill. Verse 16, those who preach out of goodwill preach out of love, knowing that I'm appointed for the defense of the gospels. Gospel. Verse 17. The others proclaim Christ out of, here it is, selfish ambition. So you notice we have in these verses envy and, and we have rivalry and we have selfish ambition. Hey, that doesn't happen in the 21st century, does it? Huh? Or, that's never happened in me, right? I've always been completely pure when I've done ministry. Not sincerely thinking that they will cause me trouble in my imprisonment. So we get a little bit more here about this story that evidently some said, now that Paul's in prison, now we're going to take his place. And, and it's going to actually make Paul jealous. We're, we're going to take his place and it's going to make him jealous. And we're, we're going to preach so that, that he can know while he is in prison that he's replaceable. It's sad to think that Christian service can be carried, carried out in that negative energy. But man, let's be careful because it easily happens. We get into a church culture and instead of purely serving the Lord, sometimes we're trying to outdo someone else. We're trying to earn our spot in a leadership position. 
We're trying to prove to people, well, I did this at another church and I can do it at this church. And then where's the purity? Be careful, guys. And I'm saying this to myself. Envy, rivalry, selfish ambition. These are all things that are wrong motives to serve the Lord. We, we need to check our motives when serving the Lord. Not ministering out of self-advancement. Not ministering so we can prove something to other people. Now, Jesus gives a great parable. I want you to turn to Matthew 13. And this is a, an attention-grabbing parable. Matthew 13, and we're going to read the parable. And then later on, he, he gives the interpretation of the parable. But it's, it's somewhat self-explanatory. Starting with verse 24. He presented another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while people were sleeping, his enemy came. Sowed, seed, sowed weeds among the wheat and left. And when the plant sprouted and produced grain, then the weeds also appeared. By the way, Jesus could have given this parable about my flower bed in front of my house. So that, that's happened too. We planted the good stuff and the bad stuff comes up with it. Verse 27, the landowner's servant came to him and said, Master, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Then where did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he told them. So do you want us to go and pull them up? That seems logical. The servants asked him. Verse 29, no, he said, when you pull up the weeds, you might also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At the harvest time, I tell, I'll tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and tie them in bundles to burn them, but collect the wheat in my barn. Now, later on down in verse 37, he gives a clear explanation of what this is. And we know that the wheat are believers and the enemy is Satan, and the weeds are the wicked. So here's, here's the ramifications to us. We, we have to be aware that the enemy actually plants unbelievers in our midst to uproot the work of God. All right, nobody look to your left or your right here, okay? It's my heart that everyone... Everyone is, who is in this room right now belongs to the Lord. So we can maybe even look even at the global church, the global church. And we know that, that there are those among us who, who are in place, who are not part of the elect. And God is saying that he's not uprooting them because it would cause more damage till now. In his providence, he's waiting for the right time to separate the wheat from the weeds. Now, this is sobering knowledge that enemies are planted among us. But here's the truth, and you need to hear this. We don't know who the wheat is or who the weeds are. We don't know. Only God knows. Only God knows the heart. And so, one of the things the Lord wants to do today is he wants to set us free from suspicion so that we could freely love people. A lot of my friends growing up were baseball players. 
and I was terrible at baseball. So I wasn't on the team, but I traveled with the team some. And I was kind of like the encourager. You know, I would travel with them and I would cheer them on and tell them they did a good job and that kind of stuff. So the coach one time told me, he said, Aaron, I'm going to put you now as my dugout manager. That's an official term, you know, to do all the hard things. And one of the things I had to do as the dugout manager is I had to keep score. And in baseball, stats are everything. And so keeping score is a big deal. It's not just the runs. It's how many balls, how many strikes, how many errors, determining if it was an error or, error or not. It, it, was, it was stressful. So like every pitch, there were three or four things I had to write down. I had to write these things down. I had to take note of that. And I learned that I became too busy keeping score to enjoy the game. I came too busy keeping the stats to encourage my friends. I was too busy judging the game instead of enjoying the game. And I believe some of us are too busy judging others' motives that we don't enjoy life itself. We're no longer encouragers. We don't see the best because we're... We're thinking it's our responsibility to keep the scorecard. But it's not. It's God's responsibility. Number two is this. God judges others so we don't have to. I want you to be free in that today. God judges others so we don't have to. What does God judge? God judges the heart. Now, we can judge behavior and we can judge fruit. That clearly, clearly does not align with Scripture. So if someone does something that is an obvious work of the flesh, it's like, yes, that's a sin, and that opposes the work of God. But I'm talking about motivation. What is someone's intent? What is someone's motivation? What is someone's heart? Only the Lord knows. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting with verse 4. The Apostle Paul is writing to a different church, but he addresses this issue of judging the intent of someone's heart. This then is how you ought to regard us. This is verse 4. Excuse me, this is chapter 4, verse 1. That's my mistake. Thank you. So again, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. This then is how you ought to regard us as servants of Christ, and as those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. Now, it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. I care very little if I'm judged by you or by any human court. Here's a very interesting phrase. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. Now, this is for a contemporary mindset. This is, this is very attention-grabbing here. Verse 4, my conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. This This is what the Lord only can do. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. Guys, I want this to set you free from 
taking the role that God has. In this life, we can observe fruit, but we don't know motives. I have a list of several pastors I know, a couple who are famous that I don't know personally, and then some in small towns around, around our nation who were pastors, divorced their wives, married someone in their congregation, and then continued to be a pastor or started a new church. I can judge the fruit of that. I mean, part of that is even illegal by the state. You know, a pastor is in a position as an authority, just like a counselor is. But scripturally, we can judge that fruit and say, that person shouldn't be a pastor in that particular situation. But the intent of someone's heart, the intent of someone's heart, those are things the Lord can only know. Only God can determine Only God can judge a true person's motivation. So when we're trying to guess someone's motivation, there is a very fine line between discernment, which is of the Lord, and suspicion, which is of us. And so we we know that discernment is an impartation of the Holy Spirit. I don't believe any person always is discerning. I believe the power of God comes on someone sometimes and they're like, okay, I discern this is an evil spirit here. I discern sin is in in this place. I discern something 100% right, like all the time. It's an empowerment of the Holy Spirit. But no one is 100% right, like all the time, can discern everything all the time. And so sometimes our suspicion we call discernment. When it's not really God's power, it's maybe intuition. And so these are things that cause us to go to prayer more. And go to seeking the Lord more. And and going to find God's heart. This is one of the the great challenges we have in this generation. Is we judge people by likability, not content. We have to pay attention to the content of someone's life. Or the content of what people say and do. And not just judge them by style or presentation. Not judge them by physical appearance. Not judge them by likability. And I say all of this because I'm probably saying this in reverse of what you're thinking. There's some people that we don't like the tone of their voice. We don't like their presentation, maybe the clothes that they wear. We we don't like maybe some some of the things that they do that just get on our nerves. And so because we don't like them, we don't want to like what they say. But if what they say is in scripture, that's a blessing and that's good. If someone else is cool and relevant and charming and likable, but what they say opposes the word, then that is not someone we should follow. I know we're probably thinking about people on podcasts and people who are preaching, but I'm talking about people that are in our lives too. That, That sometimes, you know, everyone just has someone, they're like, I feel good when I'm close to that person. Now we would be embarrassed to say who that is right now because that feels juvenile. But I'm telling you, there is someone in your life that just makes you feel a certain way when when you're around them. And don't let that person have outdue influence on you. Man, just like Paul said, I want to be judged by the Lord. I don't even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but I don't even judge myself. I want the Lord to judge me. I want the Lord to judge me. I, I I don't want to live for the affirmation of just people who... I think have a cool personality. 
I want the Lord. I want the Lord to bless me. Note the fruit in people's life. Note that, but leave the judgment to the Lord. Guys, we're part of a global church and we're part of a new America. I know it's not fun to say this, but I gotta tell you, we're in what is post-Christian America. And if you look at the stats, it's just, it's just true that things have really changed in our country in the last 30 years. And statistically, um, it's, it's very obvious based off church participation, which God bless all of you. We've got a full room here at this 9 a.m. service. So thank you for pushing against that trend. Thank you for doing that. And you've made America and the world a better place because you chose to get up and go to church or you chose to even watch online right now. Thanks for doing that. But in this, in this post-Christian environment, no longer do we have the days where we're always looking for the worst in other churches or the worst in other denominations or the worst in other, other uh, entities that proclaim Jesus Christ. We need to look for common ground. We need to look for ways where we are all centered around the cross. We're all centered around the, the table of the Lord. We're centered around the presence of the Holy Spirit. We're centered around the scripture. These are the things that matter. Dick Brogdon is one of the greatest Christians of the 21st century, um, in my opinion, and he works with the global church. Here's a powerful quote that he has, and, and there's, there's one part about the prosperity gospel that maybe is even a little intense for me, but it's still a powerful quote, if you can put that up. He says, in our pursuit of good doctrine, we must be careful not to think we alone have it. God's people need all of God's people to understand the Bible and the nature of God. We need our African brothers to tell us that the prosperity gospel is demonic. Okay, that's a little strong for me, but I get his point. We need our Chinese sisters uh, to tell us that suffering is normal. We need our Latino friends to remind us to depend on the Holy Spirit. We need Americans to underline the value of consistent devotion to the word. We need Europeans to show us how the gospel can ride on the arts. We need each other like never before. The church needs one another. And one of the things that cuts off the beautiful kaleidoscope known as the church is when we're always judging the motives and the intentions of others instead of saying, hey, they believe in Jesus. That's a good thing. They believe in Jesus. That's a good thing. Thank you, Lord, that they believe in Jesus. They may, they may have cultural characteristics that are different. They may, they may have music that I don't prefer. They may have traditions that I don't prefer. I may, I may wish they were more into it or less into it. But the bottom line is they love Jesus. Number three, with God as the judge, we are free to love and rejoice. With God as the judge, if you decide, hey, I'm not keeping score anymore, I'm going to leave that to the Lord. I'm not keeping score anymore. I'm going to leave that to the Lord. With God as a judge, we are free to love and rejoice. So look at verse 18. Here's the heart of the message. What does it matter? Only that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed. And in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. Now, this is written from a guy who's not necessarily a nice person, necessarily, Paul. 
Later on in chapter three, he like totally, totally blasts some guys with false doctrine, calls them dogs and mutilators of the flesh because their content was wrong. And so when the content was wrong, I mean, Paul blasted them. But when the content was correct, he says here, hey, what does it matter what the motive is? That's up to the Lord. I'm just glad that Jesus was proclaimed. Guys, we must resist the temptation to judge others' motives. And I've done plenty of that. Look for ways to align, not divide. Look for what we have in common instead of secondary cultural differences. And be free from the bondage of that. I want to pray for you today. And I want to believe that the Lord is going to use this word to really change some minds today. To really change some hearts. And this is more than information today. This is the word of the Lord to you. This is, this is the scripture passed down to us here in this 21st century here in Tennessee. Those of you who are watching in different parts of the country, this is for you too. And I want us to pray together. Let's welcome the Holy Spirit here right now. Holy Spirit, you have been here. There's no doubt about that. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, that you breathed upon the book of Philippians. You breathed upon it so that all of these centuries later, it can apply to us today. And so we thank you for that. I want to pray for those of you who are bound up by jealousy, bound up by taking God's place of judging people's motives. I want to pray for you who may have professional jealousy. You're jealous of someone at your office, ministerial um, Judge, be judging other people's ministries. Some of us that we see good fruit in an ex-spouse or we see good fruit in an in-law and we cannot accept good fruit because we want to judge their motives. And I believe the Lord is speaking through this and he's saying rejoice that that person loves the Lord. Rejoice that that person is praying now. Rejoice that that person someone in the church. Listen, Every single person deserves to go to church because we were welcomed at church. And we were welcomed at church. The table of the Lord is open for everyone. And I just want you to be free today. I want you to be free that the same mercy and grace over your life, by the power of the Lord, you're going to release that to someone else. You're going to release that mercy and grace to someone else. They are welcomed by the Lord. They are welcomed by the Lord. It may not be healthy for you to be in relationship with them. You, it's okay and appropriate to have boundaries. Those are good things to have. But what is not, the Lord doesn't want you to have is this sense of bitterness and jealousy that, that binds your heart, that, that you're, you're bound to these negative feelings and the Lord wants you to be set free. And, and the gospel is going to begin to release. We're going to pray for the release of the gospel, release of the work of God. I want you to begin to pray for the release of the work of God in the realm of people around you. Watch when the Lord begins to prosper people around you. You don't want, you don't want them to prosper, but the Lord is prospering them. And, and you have to trust the Lord. When you trust the Lord with someone else's uh, blessing, that God is sovereign, God is graceful, 
God is good. And if you could say, God, you're in that place instead of me, it's going to release freedom in your life, freedom to run your race, freedom to be who you and Jesus uh, and, you, and, and what your relationship is, free to be that person and not bound up in other ways. So we thank you, Lord, for doing that. We thank you, Lord. Lord, we just receive that right now. We receive that. It's, I'm so glad that the Lord is speaking today. You're never going to be the same because of Philippians 1, 15 through 18. You're never going to have to have to guess what someone's motive is, guess what someone's heart is. Yeah, you see fruit, and that's obvious. But those, those other things, they're, they're the Lord's. It's the Lord. The Lord will reveal. The Lord will reveal. The Lord will reveal the judgment seat of Christ. That's what I believe the judgment seat of Christ is a judgment for believers that will stand under and, and it'll be quick. It'll be once we'll cry and then we'll pass into glory and we'll never think about it again. That's what I believe. That's what I believe that. And there'll be a, there'll be a, a, a reconciling, but that reconciling lets us know how great Jesus is.